On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to continue our journey with the Apostle Paul and Silas, and we're going to pick up a young fellow by the name of Timothy along the way. Welcome to today's Truth Factor discussion. We'd like to thank you for taking time out of your study, out of your day, to join us for this study of the Word of God um, as we're looking at the book of Acts. We have a couple of guys not with us today. Both Mike has something else he had to tend to, as well as Tom. They're both away. But we have a guest with us today, and that, that fellow is right next to none other than the Paul Adams guy. Uh, this is Brad Phillips. Brad, tell them about yourself, where you work, and, and what you do. I'm Brad Phillips, and I'm currently uh, working with a brethren at uh, Southside Church of Christ there in Crawfordsville, Indiana. It's good to see you again, Brad. Appreciate you coming up and spending time with Paul and spending the time joining us for our study. Hopefully, you'll we'll find it beneficial. <laughs> Paul, go ahead and take a second, if you would, and let everybody know how they can participate in today's study. Well, I'd be happy to do that, John. If you're by chance uh, wanting to send us an email, you can send that to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com. And we'll be happy to reply to you as we can. If you're interacting very, very live and we don't happen to see that email come through, although we might, uh, you might look at any of the social media like YouTube.com, Facebook.com or uh, Twitter.com and look for Truth Factor Live. That's Truth Factor Live. And we'll be happy to interact with you that way. Or if you're on the TruthFactor.com website, look for the live viewing page. And we'll be happy to uh, introduce your comments, your questions into our discussion because we love to have that kind of interaction with our viewers. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. So this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We have um, seen Paul and Barnabas when they went out on what is typically referred to as the first missionary journey. And then they came back through, and in Acts chapter 15, we see the issue there in Antioch that was brought up by the uh, Jewish believers who were trying to buy in circumcision and different facets of the Mosaic law. And so that was dealt with. And then Paul and Barnabas, they get ready to head out again, but there's kind of a, an, an issue between Paul and Barnabas, and so it ends up being Paul and Silas. And where we are picking up in chapter 16, they have... They're coming up through the region, coming from Antioch. They're going northward, and they're going through parts of what we refer to as Galatia, uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and others. And during this particular section is where they're going to find a young fellow named Timothy who has obeyed the gospel. And so Timothy will join them on the journey. And as, and as you'll see as we go through this, they'll continue a little bit further. They'll receive direct instructions from the Holy Spirit as not to go into Bithynia, but continue traveling until they enter in Macedonia. And there'll be some good that comes from that. Congregations in Macedonia um, that we have letters that Paul wrote to, um, we'll, we'll see there at least what we believe to be the beginning of those congregations. So let's go ahead and begin with our reading. And Brian, I'll start with you. If you would read for us beginning in Acts chapter 16, and let's simply look at the first five verses. Okay, I'll be reading this morning Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, out of the New King James Version. <clears throat> then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. 
Paul wanted to have him go on with it. And he took him and circumcised him because the Jews were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And they went through the cities. They delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. All right. Thank you, Brian. I'm going to take a minute and let me bring up a map. I am somewhat better prepared today. I decided to get a map prepared. Now, whether or not you can see the map will be another question altogether. But here we have, as they begin their journey, you'll notice the cursor uh, over here there in Antioch. And so we're initially, he go, we see him going through Tarsus, and then where we're currently looking at is right here through Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. And what is interesting, and something we'll talk about here shortly, is the reputation of Timothy in this particular area. So Brian, let me come back to you for just a moment here with a couple of uh, questions. Uh, before we do that, if you would go ahead and let's drop into the chat room the chat question for the chat room to consider. And you've done that, so let me share it here briefly. For the chat room, here's the following question. According to verse 4, what was Paul and Silas delivering to the churches in Galatia? Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and so forth. So according to verse 4, what was it that they were delivering to those churches? Um something to think about there. But Brian, when we look at this particular reading here, one of the things that was very interesting about this is he made the point that Timothy, his mom was a Jew, his father was a Greek. Therefore, more than like, well, we know for certain, Timothy had not been exposed to what when he was first born? Uh, he'd almost certainly not been circumcised. Well, we're told he'd not been circumcised. Yeah, exactly. He, he had not been circumcised. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Here we have the Apostle Paul, and in Acts chapter 15, where they're having this big old discussion about what the Judaizing teachers were trying to bind upon the Gentiles, and the the, the, the stance that Paul took and, and what Paul had seen exposed to him by the Lord on their first journey. And, and all of this, you know, it's not bindable. You don't have to do it, you, you know, so forth and so on. He says to Timothy, you know what? You, you might want to be circumcised. What do you think about that, Brian? Well, what might have been the reason for that? You know, that's a really, really interesting point, John. Uh, you even add to that that he had just written the letter of Galatians to these very churches. Probably, you know, my guess is within the last year or a couple of years, they had received that letter from Paul that was uh, kind of pronouncing on them how wrong it was to enforce the the rules of the of the old law on people. And for then him to turn around and to circumcise Timothy is very unusual. Um, I will say, though, that the logic of this is that Paul isn't doing this for believers he's doing it for those who had yet to believe that that what he's thinking about is that he needs to proceed on to preach the gospel in other places the gospel must be preached to the jew first and then to the gentile and he understands that if he were to bring with him somebody who could reasonably seen as jewish but who uh was in violation of the things of the law of moses that that it might not it might impact or affect his ability to effectively preach as paul would say i'm all things to all men and paul seems here to, uh, to imply by action that he expects the same of those who are with him. I think that's a good point. And I think that's the most reasonable answer. You know, Timothy did this so that he might be able to be in situations where he could teach individuals and, and be respected for that. 
Um, although I've often wondered, how did they know? <laughs> you know, did you have some sort of little badge or something you'd wear saying I've been circumcised or? Um, somebody, somebody once told me that it, it to be a little graphic that that it was something that they were expected to find out uh, on occasion. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know where who it was who told me that, but uh, years ago I recall somebody saying that that was something that you expected to be checked. Well, it's reasonable when you think about the religious significance that it had. Right. I, of course, you know, like, like with something like today with us being baptized, if a, somebody comes to the church, we ask them about their baptism and they tell us about it. Um, you know, we, we usually accept their word for it. So it might be as simple as they checked by by asking them about it. But. Could be. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this and we read in another place about how Timothy was instructed in the holy scriptures uh by his by lois and eunice mother or grandmother and, and in looking at that I, I just was thinking that here he was instructed in all these ways but yet uh it seems that his father also must have had a certain uh significant influence and in that they never um that was certainly a significant part of the old testament law in that they never obeyed this command uh to have him circumcised yeah Maybe it's one area that his father, his, his uh, household authority, you know, took precedence. Yeah. Well, um, and John, I think I think Brian nailed it on the head here with with this about uh, why it was that uh, he might have had Timothy baptized uh, how, or circumcised rather. But we do read in we're going through Galatians on Wednesday night, and we read in chapter five, verse eleven, that Paul kind of defends himself about not preaching the necessity of circumcision. Uh, that maybe the Judaizing teachers were trying to accuse him of preaching that it would be necessary. And so we know that this was not done in order for Paul to believe that Timothy had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. Uh, but I think Brian nailed it on the head. Rather, yeah. it would have been in order to be uh, have a better influence in teaching these men. That's right. And we do see a difference when Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. Yeah. That's right. Um, let's see. One more question here real quick. Um, Shelton, since I've got you up there on the screen, take notice, if you would, there at the end of the section here about how much the churches were strengthened in their faith. <laughs> He says their faith and increased in number daily. Do you think this directly had a direct re was a direct result of Paul's efforts? Now you might be muted, Shelton. There we go. What I was trying to say is, is yes, I believe it was from Paul's efforts because if you take Paul's efforts away from what's happening, uh, then then how would they have been any different at all? Yeah. Uh, they would have gone gone on and done the same as they have been doing, not strengthened in faith, not increasing in number daily, but I think it's because of the, the efforts that Paul uh, that Paul was doing and that that, uh, that Timothy was doing with him and teaching the, the law of Christ. You know, Sheldon, it reminds me of a conversation you and I had yesterday. Um, we're talking about gospel preachers holding gospel meetings. Um, and, and, and it makes you wonder sometimes... Um, do some of them polish their lessons well to look good? Or do they polish the lessons well to be most beneficial to the brethren? You know, and, and so when a, when a preacher preaches anywhere, and let's take a gospel meeting because it would be kind of akin to what Paul is doing here. 
Our mm-hmm. ultimate goal is to help the church be strengthened in faith. You know, and maybe even increase in numbers if we're there long enough with them. Um, yeah, and and so right. Paul Paul wasn't there for his own benefit. He was, he and Silas were there for the benefit of the brethren. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I don't think Paul here would have taken the the sermons that he felt he presented the best and made him look the best in order to showcase himself uh, yeah. the best way possible. I think what he did was he took the word of God that was needed by the uh, those group of people needed this word of God, and so he brought that to them. And that's, right. uh, that's a good point. I think that you know. What, like what we were talking about yesterday, it's important for preachers to not just feel like a gospel meeting is a chance to showcase themselves uh, as the best preacher that they can be, but rather to hopefully bring the spiritual and numerical growth to the church that they're working with. That's right. That's right. Uh, Brian, Paul, and... Um, well, I, I think that, that along with what you're saying there, that uh, there was a lasting good that came... Uh, from from what was being done. And so uh, they were strengthened in the faith, but they were increasing in number daily. I don't think that was limited to when Paul and Silas were there. Uh, but here we, we do see that uh, that there was lasting good. And I think with every sermon we preach, every time we have a guest speaker or uh, our own lessons, uh, ask Brad what he thinks, but, but we want there to be lasting good, not just, oh, that's a nice thought for the moment but something to take home, something that they will continue to remember. Something that's always uh, been uh, taught to me is you preach what's needed, when needed, and where needed. And I think this is one of those instances here, too. Uh, Paul was teaching and making a a point of something that was needed uh, when it was needed. That's an excellent point. That's exactly right. All right, let's see. Let's do the chat room questions, see if we have any um, any takers on that. No takers on it, and it we oh, this we do. we do. Oh, do we? Uh, Jared answered in the Truth Factor chat. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me bring. Well, I won't bring that so, onto I, our screen. Have, we do have Gregor in Facebook or in yeah YouTube as well. All right, go ahead and if you would, Brian, read. Jared's, and then I'll bring in a I'll go Jared. Um, Jared uh, answered to the question, according to verse 4, what was, Paul and si- what was Paul and Silas delivering to the churches in Galatia? Jared answered the decrees to keep. Uh, so we have, we have that statement. Um, we also, in YouTube, Gregor Hinckley gave us the following answer. Uh, he said, delivering the decisions. Interestingly, the decision was you did not need to be circumcised. As mentioned, Timothy was circumcised for access to the temple uh, of the Jews, not for salvation, which, again, I think Gregor is hitting that point that, that we think is so interesting is that uh, he's literally handing a letter to churches. And then he says, let's let's circumcise this young man here. So it is kind of a very unusual circumstance in that. Yeah, I, I also see a comment in the Truth Factor viewing page uh, from looks like Mike. Uh, Mike Davis, I believe, is the engaged individual there. Do we want to bring that in? Yeah, um, go right ahead, yeah. Okay, so Mike Davis uh, makes the following comments just in general. I've always preached in meetings what I preach at home inasmuch as those hearing are not there for entertainment, but for learning the truth. If I showcase myself, I'm not presenting Christ. I can't save anyone, but Christ and his word sure can. Preachers who are in it to make a name for themselves aren't preachers of the gospel, but preachers of self. 
that's a real good comment there, Mike. Very much so. Very much so. John, um, I just wanted to observe there that uh, the decisions that it mentions here. Yeah. You know, we, we know that, that they weren't uh, saying that, well, this is the truth we, we demand that you teach, Paul, uh, because and that his message was predetermined by uh, the elders at Jerusalem the, because uh, Paul said in Galatians 1 and verse 11 uh, that the gospel that he preached was not according to man. And so it's just saying that they had, I, I believe it's just saying they had sent him out on this work to do, to teach the word of God, to share the message of the word of God, but not to, uh, they weren't writing his sermons for him, so to speak. Yeah, that's a good point, good point. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next section. But before we do, uh, one more point real quick. When he talks about the church was strengthened in the faith, and Brian, you mentioned this a while ago, so I don't I don't know if there was a connection made, but, but you did mention this, and I thought it was a very good point. Somewhere within this framework, Paul's written to the churches in Galatia. And so if we take the understanding that he wrote to them beforehand, and then we have this visit coming in, it would make sense that they've got his letter. Now they hear about the decision, the decree, and here's Paul backing it up. It would make sense that their faith would be strengthened all the more. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and read the next section. And, oh, I've done forgot your name. The guide to the left of Paul, Brad. Brad, would you mind reading for us verses 6 through 10, please? Sure. And I'm likewise reading from the New King James Version. Acts chapter 16, beginning there in verse 6, we read, Now when they had gone through uh, Perga and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they have come to Mysa, they tried to go to by Bithynia, by the Spirit, did not permit them. But passing by Mysa, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with them, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. All righty, I appreciate that. Let's bring our handy-dandy map back up here if you're able to see this at home so you notice here they're leaving from this area of lystra derby and iconium and they set off to go northward the 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 holy spirit did not want them going through asia right here so they decided to go northward and we're heading into bithynia and the holy spirit said no you're not going to go there and um then they travel over here and they go past the region known as mycia there and then the vision appeared to them to go to Macedonia. And so they'll ultimately sail from Troas over here into Macedonia. So let's go ahead and take a moment now and share with everybody the chat room question, which goes like this. Because of the Macedonian call, what congregations may have been either started by Paul and his group or at least strengthened? Okay, because of the Macedonian call, what congregations may have been either started by Paul or his group or at least strengthened. So something to consider there in the chat room. Now, when we consider this section, and uh, Brad, I'll, I'll kind of throw this one at you since we had you to read there for us. Do you have any thoughts on the Holy Spirit directing Paul and his group away from Asia and Bithynia? 
Now, one thought that comes to my mind is is uh, the thought that there was more important work at the time for Paul to be engaged in. That comes to my mind. And, and I think that's a very good point. When you look at Asia, I mean, you think about the seven churches of Asia, um, the church in Ephesus and so forth, that we'll read about later. But it, it wasn't for Paul to go through that area. You know, and, and we're not told why, other than it was the directions given by the Holy <clears throat> Spirit. Um, Another possibility for that right? might be, I mean, I think this is assumption just as much as the other one, but uh, it could have even been uh, that persecution in that area might have been too high that uh, if he would have gone through there, he might not have been able to fulfill the rest of those ministries elsewhere if he would have, say, been put to death in that area. Uh, or something like that. So that that's obviously an assumption just like anything else since we're not told, but uh, that's just one thing I thought of when I was reading through that question. Okay, that's a good point. Good point. Um, any other thoughts on that particular question? If nothing else, it's interesting at best, you know, or at least it's interesting, the, the, the directions given there. But what do we now, um, let's see, Brian, what do we go ahead and what can we conclude? What did Paul conclude, sorry, from the vision that he had saw or that he had seen? Um, he concluded that this was a call from the Lord for him to go there to preach the gospel. Yeah. Matter of fact, when you look at the text there, sorry, I'm a little bit behind my brain. There we go. After having seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them yeah that's why i said in the question either paul started these congregations or he at least was going to strengthen some of the congregations so i think i think oftentimes we attribute especially well this this will get into our chat room question there's going to be one congregation that's very instrumental and we see a lot in paul's writings and um I think we I think we conclude that the congregation started with Paul's efforts on this particular trip here. Um, anything though before we look at the chat room question needs to be brought out. Okay, let's go ahead and jump back to the chat room question here real quick and see if we have any answers there. So we have the Macedonian call. What congregations were either began or at least strengthened by Paul and I have a little chart I'm going to bring up here if we don't have an answer within our chat room. Looks like Gregor gave us a, a guess there. All right. Let me throw. That's interesting. He mentions Mysia and Troas. That's a good point about especially the church there in Troas. Although Better. Troas technically, well, he is being directed there by the Holy Spirit. He would go through Troas. So yeah. that's a good point. Um, how about on the viewing page, uh, Brian? Uh, I don't think we have anything on the viewing page there. There were no comments. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and bring this up here real quick. So here's a nice little handy-dandy chart. Now, he th this is the cities where he stopped. Philippi, we're very familiar with that congregation because Paul wrote, well, a letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, Amphibolus, I'm not sure if that's pronounced right. Apollonia. Thessalonica. There's a congregation there in Thessalonica for sure. 
because we have a letter written to the church in Thessalonica. And I'm only highlighting this because of the letters that we have that Paul wrote. This is not to say there weren't congregations <coughs> in the other city. Um, there was a great commendation for those in Berea. Now, the next ones, Athens, Corinth, and Centria, um, the reason why I want to bring those out real quick is because he had to go through Macedonia to get down to them. And so had Paul not been sent through this region, might not have had the letters to the church in Corinth. Can you imagine New Testament without First and Second Corinthians? Now, I'm not saying that's the way it would have been, but because the Holy Spirit sent him through this area, these are this would be one of the reasons why we have the letters that we do. Any thoughts or any comments? Looks like there's a comment uh, from Mike Davis in the True Factor chat. All right. <clears throat> Bring that in, if you would. Yeah, and it looks like uh, uh, Mike Davis says, Paul Adams and I talked a bit about this yesterday. We find lots of places starting, but never a congregation closing. Today, what do we see? It's a good point. That's a good point. And Mike and I's discussion was about, um, we've both been asked the question, maybe you fellows have as well, about a congregation that's maybe not going to meet anymore. And uh, the question is, how do you shut down a congregation? What do you do uh, with the treasury and the property and, and all of that? And I just said that I always point out to folks who ask that question that there's never a Bible example of a church closing, uh, a church shutting down. Uh, that's not to say that there wouldn't be times in which there are circumstances, maybe uh, when they're joining uh, together with other works or, or something that needs to be done. Uh, but it's just not something we, we have a Bible uh, Bible example of or instructions regarding how that would be to be to happen. Well, Paul, I I think I know why, or at least a contributing factor to it. We in, in the culture we live in, and and let's go back to the last sixty years, maybe maybe seventy years. Okay, I feel weird when I preach when I when I present a lesson on the local church and I say the local church is made up of Christians who live locally who come together to worship God and do the work of the church. I feel weird with that definition because now you'll have in especially the larger cities you'll have members who travel 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles to work with the congregation. It's truly not Christians living in a local area coming together to do a local work. So you'll have one family that there could be a small little work near them and they're a young couple and then they have kids and the demographics of the congregation is significantly older and they find out there's a larger congregation 45 minutes that way, but there's a lot of young people and the demographics are a lot more, a uh, lot better, if you would, for their family the way they see it. So instead of working with the local group that's only five, ten minutes from their house where they worship, they will go 40 to 50 minutes to worship with this group over here. If brethren truly stayed in their local areas, you might have many more smaller congregations. I'll grant you that. But you, you would, you, you would have less likely seen congregations fold up, you know. But and and there there's some congregations in Oklahoma City. After a while, no one no one was attending there except maybe a local family, and so they finally decided to close the door and go worship with another congregation. Oh, that's the way I see it. 
Yeah, I think uh, that that's we don't read about East Side and West Side, you know, Thessalonica or or anything like that. I I don't know what constituted a region. I don't think we can can uh, dictate that or, or you right. know say that you could only have within this many square miles uh, or you shouldn't travel any farther than this right. or anything like that. And I understand that there are reasons why uh, people maybe drive right past one congregation to get somewhere else. I, I get that, but, uh, but that certainly was not a New Testament no. issue. If you lived in Apollonia, you worshiped with the brethren in Apollonia. I doubt you could hop in the car and 30 minutes later be up in Thessalonica. Right. You know, I'm not, I don't know if you could do that today. <laughs> um, anyway, it just, I don't know. I, I, and, and we have some, we have some members who, Drive a distance, you know. So I'm I'm not knocking that. Don't misunderstand me. Um, but there there are some areas in Oklahoma where a large number of members live within a close region, but they drive 40, 45 minutes to worship with a congregation. Why not start a congregation in the area? Now here's the downside to it: the larger congregation has the funds to be able to support a local evangelist fully, help support other preachers, and put towards the work of the church. And if they left there and went start another congregation closer to home, you wouldn't have all those means. They'd be smaller. And so there's there, there's a lot of different things that affects decisions like that. All right. Any other thoughts? All right. Let's move on to the next section here. And who read? Let's see. Brad read and Shelton. Did you? No, Brian read first. Shelton, if you would go ahead and take a moment and read for us. Let's read verses 11 through 15. Okay, I am also reading from the New King James Version. Verse 11 says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. All right. Thank you, Shelton. All right. Let's take a minute and look at a couple of thoughts here, beginning with what's going to be in our chat room. The chat room question is as follows. Although Lydia was considered a worshiper of God, how do we know that she was still lacking something? That makes sense. Although Lydia was considered a worshiper of God, how do we know that she was still lacking something? All right. I don't know. I thought I would ask this to see if you know, Brian seems to be one of those uh, guys who from time to time comes up with some interesting information about stuff. So I was wondering if there's any interesting information about Philippi being a leading city of the district of Macedonia and Roman colony. And if not, that's what, quite all right. We'll move on. You know, and I don't have much. I do seem to recall uh, that being a Roman colony uh, typically implied the idea that it was founded by former Roman soldiers. One of the things of being a Roman soldier is you were granted like certain benefits after the end of a certain amount of time of being in the service. 
And one of them was that you were given land somewhere. And so sometimes they would take these Roman soldiers who were coming out of service and give them land in a specific place to set up a city uh, like Philippi. It, it might be the case there, too. I should have looked that up for you. And I'm sorry, I don't have any <laughs> real pertinent information. Interesting information. Could this be another term for digression? I don't know if that might have been it. So. Well, what I find interesting about it kind of leads to the next question. Um, and I'll ask this of Paul. Paul, do you think that we can conclude that there was not a synagogue in Philippi? That was my first thought, uh, that if this was a place where, and I know we've had some recent discussions about what synagogue life uh, was like, uh, and uh, it would seem that that would be the place that people would have typically gone uh, when they were away from, Jews would have gone when they were away from Jerusalem for uh, a time of prayer. And so that was what I initially thought is that uh, these folks meeting by the river uh, likely would would be uh, an indication uh, that there had not been a synagogue in that city, but I don't know that for sure. Okay. Well, the reason why maybe... Oh, good, Brian. Does someone recall that synagogues were typically built alongside of rivers, that that was a, either a requirement of the laws of the Sanhedrin or something like that? Does that, does that ring a bell to anyone? No, I, I had heard say that... Yes, Brian. I'd heard that there had to be a certain number of Jews in the city. Yeah, there, there were like five, four or five requirements. And one of them was, if, if possible, it would be set up by a river so that this might have been a, a pre-synagogue, you know, kind of a synagogue informing. But uh, I'm not, like I said, that let's take that with a grain of salt. If nobody else recalls that. Well, it was a designated place to pray. You know, Paul was looking for that, so. Okay. Um. Now, another interesting uh, section here is, uh, <laughs> all right, so I got a question that's unrelated at all. I'll ask this of Paul. What do you think in Philippi was their favorite dessert? Well, Paul went there to Philippi. Philippi. <clears throat> and that was Paul Adams' joke, by the way. <laughs> you can catch more of that on the Paul Adams show. <laughs> um so in this particular section we we have we have something a little bit different we have instances of conversions you know before now and in many of the the instances of conversions before this point we see two different things taking place we see some sort of miracle being performed and then we see the gospel being preached um this took place a good bit on Paul's first journey there with Barnabas and and like I said in many of the conversion accounts we have the word being confirmed with a miracle and then we have the word being preached and people being convicted by the word such as the um when they were on the isle of of uh, island of Cyprus there and um Sergius Paulus was convinced by what Paul said but he had also seen what Paul had done to, or the Holy Spirit had done to Bar Jesus in Acts chapter 13. But here we have a simple case of point of Lydia being a worshiper of God, praying to God, Paul and Silas talking with Lydia and teaching her in her household, and they chose to believe and obey the truth. Any thoughts or comments? Um, let's start with you, um, Shelton on this particular conversion yeah and uh that's that's interesting that you bring that up that you know from what we know from the record we're given here that there weren't any miracles performed uh there could have been 
uh, I, I will say that. But generally when there was, of course, it is recorded uh, and it was used to help confirm that word. Uh, but here we don't see that being said. We just see that they went down to the river where prayer was customarily made. So it tells us a couple things about this character of Lydia. One, of course, in verse uh, 14, that she was a worshiper of God. She worshiped God. She was a believer already. Uh, and I think we can assume also from verse 13 that she might have been there praying. So not only was she a believer in God, but she was practicing her belief. And I, I think we can assume that by them going down to the river where that prayer was made and then seeing Lydia there. Uh, and I think another important thing that we need to mention here is that she uh, it says the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken in verse 14. And I think it's very important for us to to really study Lydia. And I think it's a great applicable uh, character for us to talk about today, because we have a lot of people that believe in God. And not only that they believe that there is a God and they believe in the Bible, but they also believe enough to practice uh, that they have certain practices in prayer and in worship. Uh, that they they perform these things. And in this, they believe that they are worshiping God correctly. However, Lydia was doing these things. But when the word of God, the true word of God, was really spoken to her, her heart was open to the words that were being said. Uh, I think sometimes even our brethren can be guilty of sometimes in thinking that the studies that we have done are closed, are a closed study. We have studied this, we have found this out, and that's what we believe, and we're not going to even listen to anything that might be contrary to that. And I think we can be guilty of that. I think uh, other denominations, uh, our denominational friends can be guilty of that as well. But we need to understand that our heart needs to be open when the Word of God is being spoken. We need to test all things that we hear in order to, to know the truth of the Word of God. And this is what Lydia did. She let her heart be opened. She heard the word spoken to her. She understood it to be true. And then she did what the word told her to do. She didn't just hear it and accept it and say, well, I'm going to keep doing what I am doing and believe what I believe. Now, she she accepted the word with an open heart and was baptized, her and all of her household. So I think that this story, to me at least, is, is very applicable to uh, the people that we talk to today in the religious world. Okay. it's good points. Good thoughts on that. Um, I have a, a follow-up question I'll throw here in a minute, but before I do, I want to see if anyone else has any thoughts on this. Let me let me ask, um, let me kind of throw this out here, because Shelton, you kind of made mention of this. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, are, are we are we to take from this that this this opening of Lydia's heart was despite any uh, disinterest that she would have had, or do we see this as being one of those cases where, yes, the Lord opened her heart, but not out of a forceful way. This was who she was, and her interest was sincere. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, and I'm sure there are people that take the other side, but I, I don't think this was forceful at all because we see people that even Jesus taught you think of the rich young ruler uh, that Jesus taught that even was not able to uh, sell his possessions because he had great possessions and he went away sorrowful because of this so I think that if teaching is being done there's a level of the scriptures that is very important to us that talk about our own personal faith 
uh, and that we, if we do not have our own personal faith in God, he would not be, you know, then, then, then we're not doing it the right way. I think the whole idea of forcefulness of faith doesn't make sense with the rest of the scriptures. So I think when it says the Lord opened her heart, it would have been that the Lord put her in this opportunity, put her in this uh, circumstance, if you will, where Paul is teaching her. And uh, she was she was faithful. She had the right heart. We look at the uh, parable of the sower, sowing seeds, the different types of soil that it might land on. And we know that, too. We can teach the word of God to several different people. And, you know, maybe only one out of five or one out of ten of those people have a good enough heart to accept the word that's being taught. And I think that Lydia falls in that category. I don't think it was forceful. I, I think that she was a true believer and a true worshiper of God. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm gonna take a little longer with this because uh, with our time and everything, we'll need to um, we'll need to cut cut this particular study short uh, regarding the material. But let me let's pursue this a little bit further, and, and I'll throw this question to to Paul Brad. I'll either call you Paul Brad or Brad Paul. I'm, I'm gonna say Paul Brad. Do you think that we in our prayers should pray that, much like Lydia, that the Lord would open the hearts of those we try to teach? Absolutely. I think that's a reasonable prayer. Uh, we're not, I don't suppose we're, we're asking for some kind of a miraculous uh, opening of that, but just that their, their state of mind would be such that maybe they would like to, to hear that. I think that uh, I often, uh, before I pray, uh, maybe early on Sunday morning, I, I try to have some quiet time, and, and I would pray that uh, I would be able to speak in a way that would be uh, helpful to the hearers, uh, be God's will and, and help them, and that they would be willing to listen and receive that teaching in the way in which it's intended. What do you think, Brad? I think it's it's always a good thing to, to pray uh, that hearts of those who have not been obedient, that their hearts will be opened, as, as you said. But I see something else here uh, in this, too, that... I think that sometimes we often overlook, and I think Mike made a point of it earlier in his comment that he, he gave. But again, it, it reminds me of what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and the fact that he sowed in Apollos water, but God gave the increase. And here's an example of that where, where Paul, he was sowing the seed, but who was it that gave the increase? It was, it was God. And that's what I see here also when I think about verse 14. You know, that's a very interesting connecting the dot, if you would. I hadn't really made that connection between 1 Corinthians 3 and Lydia being a great example. The Lord didn't cause Lydia to believe, but he, her heart was open so that she might hear the word. But she was already in a position of trusting the Lord and worshiping the Lord. So she was the perfect, I don't want to say candidate, but she had the right mindset. And so the, the Lord did give the increase. That's a good point. Um, you know, when I see it, when I see right. a statement like this, a lot of times what I like to say to myself is, what can it not be saying if I'm not entirely sure what it is saying? Sure. And uh, what we would rule out of this, I think, would be a little more important. And, uh, of course, what we're all looking at is, is the doctrine of Calvinism, which speaks to the idea that God particularly selects certain people to be, rece uh, to be receptive to the gospel. We know that the Word of God tells us that God is not a respecter of persons, that God desires all men to be saved. 
So whatever the meaning of the passage could be, first and foremost, we know what it's not saying. It's not saying God particularly acted upon her to receive this message. Um, my Bible has a footnote that takes us over to Luke chapter 24, where a similar statement is made. But in that instance, Jesus is teaching his apostles and it says that the Lord opened their understanding. Um, a little bit of a different terminology there, but probably really about the same idea uh, of opening the heart and opening the understanding that it's that it's the work the gospel accomplishes uh, within the willing person that that is that is the opening of these things. Okay. I have a, a electronic uh, note here, um, sort of a commentary, and it says her heart was opened. This was not a miraculous thing, but her response to the gospel as preached by Paul. God opened her heart through the gospel. She attended to the things that were taught, showing that her heart was open. And so the, the gospel message certainly is very uh, motivating, moving. We're called by the gospel. Uh, some people receive that and some some don't. And so we are looking for those kind of uh, honest and good hearts. Yeah. What What is amazing about this is he doesn't tell us how he opened. You know, so we, we and I, like, I agree with what Brian said, we rule out a miraculous working. Um, and like what Paul said, there could be any, you know, he could be talking about the Gospels. It's like the great question, how did the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? You know, what, 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 what did he do? Was it, you know, if the Lord did it directly, it wasn't, he wasn't pushing the Pharaoh to go 180 degrees different from where he was. You know, and so Lydia's not, uh, a, a, an unbeliever forced into to believing. You know, her her heart was open to the word of God. But there's something else that I've often found interesting about this is that, and I'm working on a lesson, see if I can make it make sense at some point to present. But God watches all of our lives from the beginning to the end. Every individual born into this world, God has full knowledge of that individual. If not, how could there be a day of judgment? And so he sees the life of that individual. And if that individual is going to be a believer, it's not because God is so determined it, we have free will, but that person will one day become a believer. And in this case in point, the Lord saw Lydia, recognized Lydia to be one of his worshipers. Let's go back before the law of Moses or before the Christ out upon the cross. That's a very important point. And a little bit Gregor's going to touch on that when he answers the question. We'll bring that up here in just a moment. Um, but at this stage in the game, she was a worshiper of God, but she needed something a little bit more. And we'll talk about that. And the Lord was aware of that. Same case with Cornelius. And, and I think that with every individual that we are trying to teach, this is not some stranger that we are going to introduce to the Lord. Now, Lord, help this individual come to a knowledge of the truth. The Lord is fully aware of this individual. And, and I have known Christians who would thank the Lord because of a series of events in their life that brought them around to study with the Christian that converted them to the truth. Uh, my mom and dad were both raised within other religious beliefs. And um, when they were newly married, uh, probably I was very old myself. Mom got a job at J.C. Penney's. One of the ladies she worked with had been taught, her and her husband, by a preacher, by Don Patton. Well, she began to study with my mother. And then they set up a study with David Tant, who was a local preacher, and my mom and dad. And my mom and dad, my mom first became a Christian, and I think the next the week later, my dad obeyed the gospel. So my mom could thank the Lord for the job that she got at Penny's 
because it put her in a situation to have learned the truth. Now, um, to me, this would be probably along the same lines as what we're looking at here. Not a miraculous intervention, but we, we like the term providence to explain those things. And it goes to show that the Lord does watch our lives. Do you think that's accurate? John, I, I think so. And I, I think sometimes we're uh, aff so afraid of being branded something, uh, whether it's Calvinist or whether it's uh, Pentecostal, or what it is that we want to limit God to, to just fit within our mental framework and realize that, that God can do things. And we're not going to call those uh, miracles like in Bible times uh, because we know uh, that, that we're given for the confirmation of the word, but that God can do things that are beyond our uh, comprehension and understanding. And we're not going to limit God uh, to what he can or, or cannot do. Yeah. Um. Any other thoughts before we look at the chat room question? Because this does kind of overlap a little bit. Sheldon, you just took a bite of something. What was it? Yeah, what was that, John? You put me on the big screen, right? As yeah. I took a little bite of my breakfast. <laughs> I forgot to remember. <laughs> you never know. Don't. Don't do anything. You wouldn't want the world to see. I'm not going to be able to eat or anything. You gotta... <laughs> I think you did it on purpose. I think he saw me reach over, and then he was like, hey, I'm going to put him up there so that everybody <laughs> sees him. Take a yeah. bite. There we go. It was crumbs, too, you know, so I had to get all the way in. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Brian, any ideas? Any thoughts? No, I don't think so. I think, like I said, we really covered it well uh, okay. as far as, as this idea um, you know, maybe the only thing to add, if you let me just add one other thought, you know, it's kind of unusual in John six, Jesus makes the statement that, uh, that, uh, there'd be a, a drawing by God of men coming to him. But then Jesus in John 12 elaborates on that and says that the drawing will be accomplished by him going to the cross. So, you know, I, I would suggest something similar is, is found here that the opening of the heart is, a, is accomplished by the working of the word. And that we're not, we're not again, as everybody has said so well, we're just not talking about something supernatural or particular that we're just talking about the way the word works within us. Yeah. All right. Good point. So chat room question. Let's go ahead and bring that up here. For this section, although Lydia was considered a worshiper of God, how do we know she was still lacking something? And Brian, did, did we have a, an answer to that question? We did in the Truth Factor. Uh, we do in both YouTube and Truth Factor. So, well, let's go ahead and bring up uh, Gregor's. Okay. So, and Gregor we'll... Hinckley in their YouTube chat made the following statement: She was not in the fellowship of the church. She had not been baptized and may not have known of Christ at all. No internet to spread the word. I think that's a good point. You know, that's that was one of the things that came up in our later in our discussion in our. In our adult class, we've been studying through Acts. We're talking about Cornelius. Yes, God saw Cornelius and heard Cornelius' prayer. But Cornelius still had something else he needed to do. He was not, he had not been added to the body of Christ. He would not been added to, um, the church. He had not had his sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And same way with Lydia here. You know, this is what she was lacking. And although she was a worshiper of God, she still had to get to that point of being added to the body of Christ, to the church, through her obedience and submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and Gregor also makes a comment real quick about her soil. 
That's right. Uh, Gregor also says uh, Lydia had good soil. Uh, certainly, you know, that's a neat allusion in the New Testament. Both Jesus used it in the parable of the soils. And then James used it in James chapter one, that both reflecting our heart being uh, the place, the reception of the seed, which is the word of God. So yeah. Gregor's comment uh, lands well to that. All right. Go ahead and real quick and bring in the other one, if you would. Okay. So our other comment is in our True Factor viewing page. Uh, this is from uh, Engaged Individual, which we know is actually Mike Davis in disguise. Uh, Mike said, isn't it interesting that Lydia requested of Paul, if you have judged me to be faithful, usually we want to have a new convert prove themselves for a while before determining their faithfulness, not here. She was faithful to the obedience of the gospel and therefore deserving of Paul to enter her home for additional teaching and answer to the chat room question. That is a very good thought. I hadn't really put it together the way that they might put it. And he's not wrong. You know, we someone, they answer the gospel's call into salvation. Now you got to prove your faith. But this was right off the bat. There will be her obedience, her and her family. Ask Paul if you prove, if you find us to be faithful. And he did. You know, he did. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We are, took a little bit longer than what I had, had intended originally. I talk more than probably what I should have, but we're going to we're going to make this our stopping point for the day because starting in verse sixteen of chapter sixteen, we start uh, the the part of the the narrative here where Paul and Silas end up in prison, and we want to talk about how they ended up in the prison. There, there's a lot of interesting questions regarding this particular uh, expulsion of this spirit from the young lady and and how that all took place. And then when they are in prison, Paul and Silas, their behavior and the ultimate results of their behavior. So I think it's something that we really need to spend some time on. And it was suggested earlier by one of our fellows in our private chat that we might want to make this the stopping point and spend our time next week on the latter half. And I think that's a very, very good idea. All right, Brian, any final thoughts or comments? Anything else come in from the chat room that I might have missed? I didn't see anything else, so I think uh, that brings us up. All righty. All right. Any final thoughts on your part? No, nothing for me. All right. Uh, Shelton, any final thoughts? No final thoughts. I appreciated the study, and uh, make sure any of you who are viewing try to do what you can to be back next week, because I think next week's is uh, going to be a really important study as well. I agree. And Paul Brad, <laughs> any final thoughts? Thank you again uh, for uh, the opportunity to be with you guys again today. Well, Brad, I appreciate it. Um, I know Paul's one of those people that you can take small amounts of and and be content too long with Paul. For an hour or once a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you again, Brad. Good to see you, Shelby. <laughs> Paul, did you have any final thoughts? No, sir. Good study. Okay. All righty. Well, Let's plan the next Wednesday to continue our study. We'll pick up here in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16. Now, we would like for you to, to do us a favor if this is something that you'd be interested in doing. Paul brought this out at the start of our study, and I'll share it with you here real quick. Um, if you would like to subscribe to our YouTube page, you can do that by going to youtube.com slash truthfactorlive, and you can click the subscribe button and then click the little bell icon there to receive notifications when we do go live, and if we post any other type of videos at some point in the future, which we may, may do. You can also follow us on Facebook. 
And so just go to facebook.com slash truthfactorlive and click the follow button there as well. Um, that way you kind of stay up to speed on things that we do. And, and they are, those are means whereby you can comment and contact us through instant messages if you would like. Um, we don't use it a whole lot, but our Twitter handle is truthfactorlive. And so you can also contact us that way. And I'm not real good about sending notifications there of our studies. We'll see if we can't do a little bit better. So if everything goes according to plan, and as we normally like to say, Lord willing, next Wednesday we'll continue our study at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Noon Eastern Time. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. And 1600 Zulu Time. <laughs> That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.